This is Echo Zoe Radio, episode 185 for September 2023 with Jonathan Worthington on Training Leaders. Welcome to Echo Zoe Radio, the podcast outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries, where you'll hear about important topics affecting the church today. Our primary goal is to explore a variety of issues while remaining faithful to God and His Word. Stay with us for the next hour as your host, Andy Olson, shares his conversation with this month's guest. Here's your host, Andy Olson. I'm Andy Olson. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. This is episode 185 for September 2023. Jonathan Worthington is an adjunct professor of theology at Bethlehem College and Seminary in Minneapolis, Minnesota, incoming chaplain for North Hennepin Composite Squadron of the Civil Air Patrol, and director of research at Training Leaders International. He joins us to talk about training pastors and ministry leaders around the world. Show notes for this episode are available at echozoe.com slash 185 you'll find an outline of the discussion and additional resources. Also check out the Christian Podcast Community. The Christian Podcast Community is a group of like-minded, well-vetted podcasters, and there's an ever-growing list of shows available on a wide variety of topics. You'll find shows on scripture reading, hermeneutics, theology, apologetics, evangelism, law and government, economics, cultural issues, movie reviews, and more. You can find it all at christianpodcastcommunity.org. With that, here's my discussion with Jonathan. Jonathan, uh, it's it's a pleasure to, after all our talking for the last uh, several months, it's a pleasure to have you in the studio to, to talk about ministry and yeah. whatnot, so welcome. Thank you very much. I appreciate the invitation. I've enjoyed talking as well. Yeah. Um, we got to talking several months ago. You and I are both, uh, we, we met through Civil Air Patrol. Mm-hmm. Um, I've talked a little bit on the show about my time at Civil Air Patrol and what we do. And, mm. Um, that we really started chatting back in April. We had our, uh, I think that it was at the retreat conference. conference. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, within civil air patrol, we call it wing and basically a wing is a state. So yeah. the Minnesota the state civil conference. air patrol, mm-hmm. and the state conference. And, and we both looked very fancy because there was a <laughs> banquet and everything. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know how it came up, but we were, I think we were at a lunch and just started chatting yeah, and I'll find right. out that we both do some ministry stuff and mm-hmm. kind of went, went from there. Right. In fact, I think that was right after I had just recorded a podcast and I was mentioning that to you and you said, I have a podcast and you started telling me. Yeah, I think me. that's how it came yeah, up. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, wait a second I here. How, I don't know why I mentioned having a podcast, but I think that I was, mentioned it and then, yeah. oh, what do you do? Ministry or theology? Yep. Oh. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so talking ministry, and you have a fascinating ministry. That's your full time so job. It's my full time job. Yeah, it's like a dream. So, in fact, it is a dream. <laughs> uh, well, I want to just start off like, let's introduce you. What, like, talk about your background and mm-hmm. like what, where'd you come from, and how'd you get into ministry, and and then we'll lead into what you do now. Sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I could say I could. Start uh, by the way that I introduce myself when I am on the field talking with pastors, um, especially in Africa, I would say. 
So my name is Jonathan. I have one wife, <laughs> Lindsay, and and that's usually how it starts with all of us. Although one it's wife. not always one wife, depending on where we go. Oh, okay. So we always make clear that uh-huh. I have one wife. So I do. I have a wife named Lindsay. We've been married for 21 years. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's coming up actually within about three weeks. We'll, oh. be, we'll be 21. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, we're coming up on, uh, we'll be 19 on New Year's Day. All right. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And we have two girls, uh, Anya, and both of my girls now do Civil Air Patrol, and that's, mm-hmm. that's the initial connection with you. Uh, Anya's 15. Lydia is 12. They share a birthday. Oh, wow. But three years apart. Did you plan it that way? Or just my, my wife. Just, yes, I, I had very little to do with it. Just providentially? Yeah. Well, Lindsay says she, she's very organized. Oh. But she's not that organized. <laughs> In fact, Lydia was due um, two weeks after Anya's birthday and uh, and started to make, make like she was going to come out in Anya's birthday party. Oh, wow. And uh, Lindsay was saying, you know, rubbing the bellies, like, hey, just hold on, wait a <laughs> second, let Anya have her party. And <laughs> next day, the actual birthday, huh. there she was. Huh. Yeah. That's interesting. We've got my wife's sister has, it's not kids, but it's a similar kind of thing where her husband, uh, she and her husband have the same birthday. Oh, they're, interesting. I think they're one year apart. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's right around Thanksgiving, which is another thing, you know, you're out of family and mm-hmm. easy to have birthday cake. Nice. But, for both of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's always interesting to hear yeah. where, where uh, a, a family unit has two people with the same birthday mm-hmm. in different years. Right. Yeah. Ours three years apart. And we've, um, we've always loved that. The girls love having, having a shared birthday too. And we've always given them a choice. Um, they have to agree. Um, I think, I think we do it that way. They have to agree. The choice has always been, you can have a small party with some friends, uh, or we can do a family experience is how we word it. Usually it means some kind of cross-cultural experience. So okay. when we lived in uh, in Northern Ireland, uh, which I can mention in a, a second, uh, the very first time that we did this was there, and uh, they said, family experience. <laughs> so we drove down from Belfast, where we lived, up in Northern Ireland, down to Dublin in the Republic, and uh, uh, did all sorts of cool Dublin stuff. And, uh, and Probably not pubs, though. Right. Uh, well, I mean, you're not like taking the girls to drink Guinness. Or no, we haven't given them Guinness yet. <laughs> okay. But in the Republic, like, I don't know why, but that's the first thing I think of when I think of Dublin. Is. Well, that's, that's the home of Guinness. <laughs> yeah. 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 But it's interesting. I don't even drink beer. <laughs> well, Guinness, I don't, I recommend not drinking it in America. Okay. It does not travel well. <laughs> okay. But interestingly in Northern, or sorry, in the Republic of Ireland, the, the pub scene can be very family friendly. It's not just a drinking place. So especially in some of the the more rural parts, um, you just you go to the pub, maybe have dinner, mm-hmm. and lots of people bring their musical instruments oh, just cool. in case somebody starts playing. Or maybe maybe the pub is you know hired for the evening two and two musicians who start playing a fiddle and and something. Mm-hmm. And they're singing some some Irish songs and fiddling, and then all of a sudden somebody from from just the town who's there will start fiddling as well. And then somebody else will have brought a flute and, and somebody else. And I mean, it gets like kids are there playing their instruments. Adults are there. And the whole place is just singing these amazing ballads and lots of people playing. So really we, we do take the girls or we did take the girls to pubs sometimes, Okay, (laughs) but it it was different than here, Sure, here in the States. 
Well, what brought you to Northern Ireland? Yeah, so uh, initially, my wife and I, before kids, um, we were we started our marriage in Mississippi. So I'm from Virginia. Lindsay's from kind of uh, Ohio, Chicago. But uh, I was doing seminary in Mississippi, and uh, our marriage started there for four years. After mm-hmm. seminary, um, I was going to go to the UK, uh, and I got into university in Scotland to do a PhD in New Testament uh, and early Judaism. So the mm-hmm. two of us moved over in 2006 to do that. So we're in Scotland, Aberdeen, Scotland. Um, I, I'm doing the PhD. Uh, I'm serving a local church part-time. My wife's working for the Royal Infirmary, which just means the local hospital. Mm-hmm. But it sounds so good, doesn't it? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and then we have a baby. So Anya is born in, in Aberdeen, Scotland. Um, I finished the degree in the four years, and I go full-time with the church for a few years. So we spent six years in, in Scotland, and Lydia was born toward the end of that. So both girls, uh, Scottish birth. Uh, and I applied to all sorts of universities, seminaries, colleges, and the place that hired me was Belfast Bible College. So hopping over to Northern Ireland to Belfast. So we moved there and spent three years there uh, where I was a New Testament professor. And uh, and then the uh, UK border agency changed their regulations, and we were those immigrants who were very happy to be there. We, didn't, we weren't looking to leave, but we had to leave. Okay. Yep, so we came... Uh, my, my wife and I came back to the States. Um, a lot of people said, what's it like for the girls to be back home? And we would say, well, they're they not. They're not. <laughs> Their home is the UK. This is some weird foreign place that they've now come to and mm-hmm. have to figure out these Americans. I mean, the girls had accents. They sounded Northern Irish. They, uh, their teachers there thought they were local girls, didn't realize the parents were American. <laughs> and so, uh, so we land back uh, in rural Ohio. And, um, and it took some time, uh, before God opened the door for me to, uh, to serve with this, uh, mission agency that I'm with now, mm-hmm. uh, up here in Minneapolis called Training Leaders International. And we've been here almost seven years. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I didn't realize you were here that long. Yeah. It took a while to even know about Civil Air Patrol. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want, I want to chat a little bit more offline about that. I've got some yeah. questions on the, on, on some of the, your family stuff too. But. Mm-hmm. Um, so training leaders international, what, mm-hmm. what is the focus of the ministry? What do you do there? Yeah. What does the ministry do and what do you do? Mm-hmm. Well, so I can, I can mention, um, what drew me to the ministry. Cause that's right at the heart of what the ministry is. Mm-hmm. I was very confused about, um, where God was leading us. Uh, cause I, uh, I had this sense of call to, to education, to higher education, college, seminary, mm-hmm. university. Um, but he wasn't opening doors for that. Um, I also had this added sense of, of a burden to serve the local church. So I always try to serve the local church wherever I am, but it's really hard to find a a role that, that really is in higher education and serves the local church, but also living overseas for almost a decade, we we had this passion for cross-cultural dynamics. Mm-hmm. I mean, being minorities for almost a decade in another place, bonding with other minorities, learning the majority culture that's very different than ours, all of that, uh, I just loved that. So I'm, I was looking at three passions then, uh, academics, local church, and cross-cultural, thinking, 
nothing does all that. <laughs> I mean, you, you, you can either be a college professor or seminary, or you could be a pastor, or you could be a missionary. But if you choose one of those, you don't get the others. And mm-hmm. that was frustrating for me because God had seemingly built those passions and skills into so, me. Yeah, I was just like, I'm thinking of like, uh, so I, I listen to a lot of podcasts mm-hmm. and when I can, and some are Christian, some are not. One of the not Christian ones I listen to is Scott Adams mm-hmm. and the Dilbert guy. And uh, he talks about that as like uh, building what he calls a skill stack, mm-hmm. build mm-hmm. a skill stack. So yeah. Which is, uh, pushes is really valuable, like, especially when you're younger and you mm-hmm. want to become valuable in your vocation, right? Build a skill stack. Build a skill stack, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's just one skill, it. but a bunch of skills, put them together, and then you're going to be valuable to somebody. Yeah. That's so true. to have that happen within the church, mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting to see how that. It is. It's very applicable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I, um, I was in that point of frustration with all of these applications and, and then I saw, um, or my wife found this job announcement for this place called Training Leaders International. I had never heard of it. It was young at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, uh, I had a stack of applications and, and I looked on that uh, sheet and, and my, my eyes just glanced at, uh, raise your own support. I immediately threw it in the trash. I didn't even look at what TLI did. It's like, mm-hmm. I don't need that. I have a stack of you know universities to apply to. Well, three months later, God had been working on me in a lot of, a lot of ways uh, through lots of frustration. And so I was in a different place, and TLI um, re-announced its jobs. And my wife found it uh, on the Gospel Coalition job board and passed it across my desk. And so I saw that, that same detail, and I thought, I don't like that, but oh, I should really read what they do. And I read... We bring theological training to pastors and other leaders all over the world who don't have access to training. And I, I thought, whoa, that sounds amazing. And as I dug into that, like, what, does that what does that look like? Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, well, this is, this is education, theological education. Uh, so I can use that, those skills and experience and passion. Uh, it's for pastors and other leaders of local churches, so it's directly serving local churches, um, and it's all of it's cross-cultural. I mean, we are in so many different countries and cultures, but this is this is like perfection. <laughs> this cluster of things. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll deal with all those other things that are uncomfortable. I, I need to push on this door. So mm-hmm. I started the conversations, and um, and God put pieces together. Um, so that clearly. Training Leaders International was, was kind of, I was, uh, they seemed like a perfect fit for me. But then also through the applications, um, it turns out that they had some needs, TLI had some needs that they didn't even know they were looking for. They just kind of had this felt need for somebody to, um, who could do curriculum design uh, for pastoral training. Um they hadn't even started looking yet. They just knew we're going to need this really soon. And then through our conversation, they saw stuff that I've done and thought, this is it. This is perfect. So mm-hmm. I got, they created a job, the director of curriculum development. Oh, cool. And so I started and, and got to kind of build a curriculum of biblical and theological training for, for pastors and leaders who, who don't have access. So then you have to, 
expand your skill mm-hmm. stack in, oh, yeah. in the reason raising your own support part of the thing that yeah in a lot of Maybe. things that was one of them yeah yeah because i part never, nobody likes to do the part nobody likes to <laughs> i've met one person who likes to do it mm-hmm. now it's it's really a it's a weird thing it's a highly valuable thing um yeah you know just the way that the people so let me tell you a story about one of our friends from scotland and this this kind of captures how even though support raising is, is i think frustrating and I don't want to do it, but yet there's some beauty to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was, uh, I reached out to some of our friends from Scotland and, uh, one of them is a young lady who's a lawyer, uh, who we had, uh, mentored when she was younger in university. And, um, and she, she said, you know, when we told her about this ministry and she just, you could see it lit up about it. And she said, I have just been praying, you know, God, where can I, I I've got this ex finances that, you know, I'm single, I, I've, I'm earning this stuff. I don't need all of it. Where can I contribute to a, a place that, that I can't go, but that I can be an intimate part of. Mm-hmm. And, and she said, and this is it. And so both of us were like, wow, we're both questing after what God wants. We both have different skill sets and opportunities. And this is the match right here. Cool. Yeah. That was helpful. Cause that was right at the beginning. We needed the providential boost mm-hmm. of <laughs> emerging of visions the resources and and skills and opportunities all come together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's is does TLI have a like a de- denominational back or what's wh- where are they on that like mm-hmm. the denominational spectrum? We don't have we're not denominational, um, uh, but we certainly have a flavor. Sure. Uh, so originally, we um, the person our founder uh, he's no longer a president now because uh, he's stepped aside to let somebody else become president, but mm-hmm. he's a founder. He's still a part of our ministry. Um, he didn't go to uh, Bethlehem Baptist church, but that's where he went to pitch the idea. Cause he knew that Bethlehem Baptist church has a, has a passion for mm-hmm. people all over the world receiving, you know, I think John Piper talks about. Uh, no, I was just going to say, for anybody who's mm-hmm. not yes. quite sure, we're talking John Piper's church. That's right, John Piper's church. There was this uh, talk about a theological famine throughout the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are physical famines as well, but you have so many pastors who um, they're called, they're thrust into a pastoral role, and, they, and they'll, they'll, they'll tell you, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, I, uh, I became a Christian with other people in my village. None of us know anything. And they just kind of made me pastor. <laughs> uh, one guy I talked to uh, in India, a guy named Marcus, uh, I'm making up a name because it wouldn't be good to, to know that. But Marcus, um, he was the village uh, doctor okay. simply because he had slightly more knowledge of, of medicine. Um, he was kind of the counselor. Watch more YouTube videos kind of thing? Or? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Although I don't think he had YouTube where he was. <laughs> um, and he was kind of the counselor because he's an older guy. He has wisdom. Mm-hmm. And he and lots of the village became Christians at the same time. And it was just automatic. Everyone just said, well, of course, Marcus is our pastor. Uh-huh. So whether he felt any kind of calling like we talk about uh, or not mm-hmm. is, is beside the point. He, he now mm-hmm. is the pastor. And has, and he says, I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, my only model of preaching are the health and wealth prosperity preachers that just are after all sorts of money. And they'll, mm. they'll grab a phrase from the Bible and launch off into whatever they want to talk about. Yeah. And that's the only thing I know to do. Um, and so that's, you know, Piper would talk about this theological famine. There's just nothing of sustenance. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so Bethlehem really latched on to TLI. So it became the launcher of us. Um, but it was very quick. Um, that was in 2009. Uh, and it became very evident that although we're very peaceful with, with Bethlehem Baptist Church, that wasn't the right relationship. So we split and are totally independent now. Okay. Uh, we're still very friendly. Uh, sure. Some of our staff go to Bethlehem Baptist. I teach adjunct as a New Testament professor at Bethlehem College and Seminary. So we've got some links, but nothing formal. Sure. Um, and we intentionally are broader than that. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have Presbyterians who serve on staff. We have Baptists. We have some Anglicans. We've got one or two Lutherans. We've got mm -hmm. kind of et cetera, et cetera. The, the, the core that we unite around is the Gospel Coalition Statement of Faith. Okay. Um, so it, it ha it's evangelical, trusting in the authority and inspira uh, inspiration, infallibility of Scripture, mm -hmm. the supremacy of Jesus, the, you know, all yeah. of the core evangelical doctrines. We also have a reformed or Calvinist bent to us. Yeah, that was kind of our fun mm -hmm. conversation in April. Yeah, that's right. Out we're both a little more on the mm -hmm. reform side. Mm -hmm. I think you said you're a little more on the Presbyterian mm -hmm. background. Though I'm a member at a Baptist church. <laughs> sure. Mm -hmm. sure, yeah. And love but, serving there. Yeah, <laughs> but um, but that's always fun. You know, I, I tell my wife there's two areas of life where if I meet somebody new, and we're these two things if we're the, if we're into the same kind of thing is like mm. instant friendship you know, right. any conversation one of them is obviously being a believer yeah so uh, you're coming across a new believer especially as you get to talking and you realize your theology is like more close yeah. you know uh -huh. you're, you're not prosperity or right um, whatnot mm -hmm. and um, we're both somewhat reformed and mm -hmm. um, so it, it gets a lot of fun to to get to know other believers yeah. in that regard. The other one is being a private pilot, you know, and I, right. and that's what that's I nice have fun link. with the uh, civil air patrol is, you know, I'm around other pilots. It's mm -hmm. like an instant conversation and, you know, connection. Mm -hmm. Some guys are, you know, Harley riders and, you know, they come across right. other bikers and it's just like, that's their connection and stuff. Mm -hmm. But those are my two things are yeah. the other believers and then, and then pilots. And, two good things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've made, I've made uh, some really good paper airplanes before, so if you, if you ever want to, you know, bond over other things, I might have you as the aerospace education mm. officer. I might have to have you lead okay. a, a meeting sometime. That could work. It. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, we'll talk about that. <laughs> Especially, on the, I'm always looking for stuff on the. We have seniors and and cadets, so the, the cadets are, are usually yeah, middle school and high schoolers, mm -hmm. twelve to eighteen, and then the seniors are just adults, anyone twenty one mm -hmm. and up, and the cadet side is always easy. Right, because they do make because I have airplanes. a cadet that does it, so mm -hmm. I just have to be there to make sure. Did you come up with a lesson plan? Do you have the materials you need? Mm -hmm. You know, and he does the work. You know, so I, mm -hmm. and and that's one of the cool things. I don't want this to be too much of a civil air patrol conversation, but <laughs> right, the cool thing about them as an organization is that the, one of the major goals on the cadet side is to turn them into leaders. Yes, and one of the ways they do that is they pretty quickly go from you're a new guy, you don't know mm -hmm. anything, you're 12, 13, 14 years old. You don't even maybe know what the organization's about, and you're you're quickly like in a leadership position, right? So mm -hmm. now your daughter was um, Tango Flight Sergeant. Yeah. Yep, that's right. And now my son took that and position over. Yeah. So uh, Tango, we've they divide the squadron into groups. Ours is big enough that we've got two regular 
flights. Mm -hmm. It's just a group. Mm -hmm. Alpha and Bravo. Tango is the new kids. So Mm -hmm. new kids come in, they go into tango. Learn how to march and et cetera. Right, so your daughter was, now my son is the the guy who's really like teaching them how to salute and Mm -hmm. when to call people sir. And you don't always call people sir. That's right. Um, I tried to call him sir just this evening and he he rebuked me. He says, you don't call a sergeant sir. Yeah, his uh, cadet uh, technical sergeant right now mm-hmm. is, his, is his rank. Nice. Uh, but he's only been in for a year. And right. so he went from, I just wanted him to check it out to a year later. He's, mm-hmm. he's in a leadership role there. It's, yeah. it's really an impressive. It's re- it is good. Yeah. Long a lot term. of believers at, at our squadron too. Which it's really true. Fun. Yeah. You know, the, that, that idea of you get involved with something and pretty soon be given some sort of responsibility, you know, certainly kind of mm-hmm. build up and got to be wise with what you give, but, yeah. but do something, you know, be, yep. become some sort of leader. We use the same process in, in TLI, mm-hmm. um, not in the same way, but, but I do take notes on places like cap and yeah. as I'm kind of building, uh, education, try to think a bit more broadly about yeah. And so one of the things that we do we can get back to talking about CAP if you want to. <laughs> um, but one of the things is when we go overseas um, and there's a, we, we gather pastors from a certain area. Well, mm-hmm. we don't. There's a, we have a local partner, an indigenous leader who gathers pastors into a certain area. And we send a team to teach a, a week-long intensive course on how to understand the Bible and, and communicate it. Mm-hmm. And then four months later, we do it again. They gather again. We send a team next course. Four months later, they gather again. We send another team next course. And we do that for three years. So they get these nine court week-long courses. Um, and one of the things that that's really important is that when they learn, say, course one in that week, at the end of that course, we provide them with our teaching manual translated into their language. And their task from that time until the next one for four months is to find some people and we say, submit the names to, to the partner, national partner, you know, mm-hmm. hold you accountable. And you teach this, teach what you just learned to some people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so and, the be- I've, yeah. I mean, I've found in my life, the best way to learn is, is absolutely. To yeah. That's a very powerful way. Very powerful. To... And their stories are so, so neat. Mm-hmm. Um, that when we come back the next course, we have questions, you know, how did it go? What was good? What was the struggle? What might you do differently? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, this, uh, uh, I remember a lady named Maria in the Philippines. It, it was right at the beginning of their training, course number one. I went into their classroom to, to share, like, this is what you need to do. Uh, so I'm giving them all a chance to, to pray for a bit, just pray by themselves. You know, God, who would you have me teach this to over the next four months? And uh, so there's a lot of silence. People are writing some names down and and then Maria comes up to me. Um, I'm six foot four. She was about four nine, I think. <laughs> it was a little bit fun uh, from just that perspective. She's speaking English, um, and she said, "I'm so excited. I know exactly who I'm going to teach this to, um, and, and I'm so excited because the way we've been, we've had these passages of scripture, and we've been circling stuff and and underlining and." And really exploring the passages of scripture. I've never done that before. And I'm so excited. I'm going to teach it to these ladies that I minister to all the time in the village that I go in the mountains. To. But, but none of them can read. How do I get them to underline and circle things? 
and at that stage, I hadn't given a whole lot of thought to that. You know, we're we're interacting with people who can read at various levels. Yeah. But she's working with people who zero. Oh, so the, okay. I, let's, I sense let's another think. skill from the stack coming. Another out. stack coming. That's yeah. right. <laughs> For all of us. So she and I explored some possibility. I, I had been doing some reading mm-hmm. on this thing called orality. Um, where A-U-R. You, well, that one is O-R-A-L-I-T-Y. Oh, okay. or, orality. But there's also orality, A-U-R, whatever else it is. Um, or, okay. Orality has to do with spoken word. Orality yep. has to do with heard sure. listening. Um, so most people talk about you have literature, uh, literate-based learning, so mm-hmm. learning that necessarily involves reading text. Yep. And then you have ora- oral-based learning, so learning that is n- that necessarily spoken. involves spoken. Yeah. Listened to as well, obviously, but it's mainly the speaking that they're talking about. Yeah. And so... Um, and then you have layers of people between. So you can have some people who are completely oral, that they don't even have a written language, so they don't read anything. Mm-hmm. They can't. There is no language Their to language read. doesn't have it doesn't. an alphabet. Right, exactly. So that's one end of the spectrum uh, called primary oral. Uh, then you, of course, have the other end of the spectrum where not only can they read, but everything they do is based on reading something. Mm-hmm. And us, America. Kind of where we're at, yeah. That's where we're at. Um, a lot of the West, but then you have people all in between. So you might have somebody who like Maria, she's mm-hmm. a very effective reader. So she is literate. Um, but even she usually learns things by engaging orally. It's so like, if you were to say, we want you to learn this new skill, her impulse would not be to go to a book and try sure. to read something. Her mm-hmm. impulse would be to go to an elder or a friend or somebody and talk. Whereas our impulse might be, you know, yeah. well, I can go, I'll read well, an article. Find in our culture, people mm. just have different learning styles. Right. Mm-hmm. Now that's just a, a luxury we have mm-hmm. where we can read a book or watch a video or go to a lecture or, right. you know, there's many different ways to learn things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah. Which I appreciate because uh, I have always been a much more um, audible type learner. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very slow reader. It's yeah, strange for some people. You are too. I am, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's strange for some people to, to hear that because I've done a fair bit of education where I have to read and write. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm just very slow. Yeah. Um, so, I, I would say I'm meticulous. You know, uh, I, yes. I want to, I want, I, I don't just scan a page. I, I want to read every word Gotta and get make the sure I understand it. Yeah. Exactly. And that's like, um, you know, I, I get into doing this show. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times it'll come up that I'm I'm talking to somebody that wrote a book or mm-hmm. not, and because um, my big thing is I I don't want my guests to do homework in order to come talk to ah, me, right? I appreciate so, that. So, um, so I want to I want to talk whatever you do. What's mm-hmm. your specialty? What do you What do you know? What's your skill stack? What right. What can we talk about? You yeah. Know? And um, uh, books just naturally can be can fit well into that because mm-hmm. you know you, you got to put a lot of work into a book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so by the time you finished a book and published it and, and put it out, like, you, you know, the subject well enough. Right. Uh, but my struggle with it is that being a slow reader, <laughs> you got to read it. I got to read uh, the book. Like, mm-hmm. I just think it's, it's just a respectful thing, you know, right. yeah. to, if I'm going to talk to somebody to know what, <laughs> what right. to ask them. So, <laughs> it was but, clever of you to ask me specifically to talk about my work 
and not writing so that you didn't have to read anything. <laughs> that was that was really good. Yeah, we'll go with clever. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. So that's uh, there's no I do I, I did see I was at my son's soccer game today and I, I just uh, I just Googled your name and of course got some of your articles and mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and then being at 430 in the afternoon, I thought, well, it's kind of a little late to start reading. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fortunately, um, there are some nice, uh, nice, easy reads out there. Mm-hmm. I've written some short things. Yeah, I've also written some long technical things, but that's not what you're interested <laughs> in. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you're faced with this situation mm-hmm. where you want to try to train this woman right. to go back to her, the people around her that don't right. read. Mm-hmm. How does that pan out? So, um, uh, she and I had a really helpful conversation. It was very surface and short, but it was what was needed at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, where I, I mentioned to her, um, so one of the passages we looked at was Genesis one. Uh, we started with it. Um, uh, we were started at the beginning and say, so what is, how does scripture present God? And the way we summarize it is God is sovereign, wise, and good. And that comes out in Genesis 1, and it comes out through all the Scripture. It comes out very clearly in the Gospel, mm-hmm. just over and over. God is sovereign. He, he can do anything, and He does whatever He, whatever he wants. Mm-hmm. But God is also wise. He knows exactly what to do, what is best to do. He's also good. He uh, produces good. He has good intentions. And, and in the ultimate scheme of things, everything is, is perfectly good, mm-hmm. uh, flowing from His good character. And so we had we had limited only by his nature, right? Yeah. yeah, right. And so we had dug into Genesis one, and we had circled things like phrases that that are showing God speaks and creation obeys mm-hmm. perfectly. This is a king that is sovereign. He says what he wants, and it happens. And mm-hmm. and we had underlined things about God's wisdom that just how the entire creation unfolded was just perfectly rhythmic in there phrases and and the whole structure of the the entire week everything's like this is just wise how he's present created and then goodness you know everything he produces oh that's good that's good that's good and then the the seventh climactic and god saw everything he has made and behold it was exceedingly good Mm -hmm. Uh, so we had really dug in to to see god's character in genesis 1 and uh, and so she brought that up you know circling and underlining and we, we got to see god as we were doing this and so i said well well, try this. You know, the, the whole reason that, that we circled and underlined was really so that we would notice what Scripture is actually saying mm-hmm. and not just pass over it, slow it down. So what if you were to, to tell the ladies something like, I'm going to read Genesis 1 to you. Listen and, and see how many times you hear him say, and God saw that it was good. And mm-hmm. then read to them. And so basically they're circling in their minds. You know, sure. They're noticing all of these phrases of, and God saw that it was good, which yep. is this perfect number of times. And then tell them, okay, now pay attention. For, I'm going to read it again. Pay attention to, to how organized, how, how do you know that it's organized? Like phrases like according to its kind, things like that, and read it again. And so basically they're underlining in their mind. So there are ways to engage the text, which is the whole point of the drawing and, and stuff, but yeah. to do it orally and orally. Mm-hmm. And and it, I think she had a really productive time. So that she ends up being a, a good bridge between right. a written 
mm-hmm. the, the written and the oral. Right. Yeah. And it's always tough. Um, it's one of the downfalls of theological education overseas. When, when somebody from the West takes our training, our education, and goes to a different culture, it's always a danger that um, the way that we do it is very foreign to, to how they may do education. Mm-hmm. And the people that we train directly might be able to kind of cope with our foreign style of teaching because they know we're foreigners. But then students usually do what their teachers did. That's mm-hmm. the only thing they really know. So then you have all of these pastors or other leaders that are going to their own people and they're doing this foreign format, foreign way. But they're supposed they to be the, frustrated. They get frustrated. It's like this person doesn't fit anymore, that they're mm-hmm. odd. I don't understand what, what they're doing. So if we, on our end, can do whatever possible to understand how might they learn and think, what were the patterns that they might use? And if we can kind of bend ourselves as much as possible, not bend the message, of course, but sure. bend our, uh, how, how we present and how they learn in a way that's more like their own culture, then, then they're a really effective bridge because they'll put up with some of our quirks, but it's mm-hmm. also not too foreign. And then they can really just step in and, and be themselves Mm-hmm. more more so sure it's hard to do though yeah i bet so i i think in our past in our discussions that we've had in the past you've you've talked a bit more about that oral side of things and what um i think in our western uh mindset we we kind of quickly will want to go gravitate towards that being a uh kind of a handicap mm-hmm. that those people don't have a, a, lang- a written language. Mm-hmm. Um, where is that not so much a handicap, but a strength? Mm-hmm. I like the way you put that. <clears throat> um, and I, I think it is both. Um, mm-hmm. Just like reading is both. Mm-hmm. There's certain things we've lost abilities for, um, but we've gained certain things. And there's certain things yeah, they've I think not of gained. Like, I don't know if it was you and I talking or if it was the previous show that you've done that that I was listening to, but mm-hmm. just talking about basic things like how in our own lives, your life and my life, you know, we're about the same age. Mm-hmm. Um, well, when we were younger, we had to memorize phone numbers a right. lot. Yeah. And you you knew, you know, mm-hmm. your whole family, your extended family, I knew m- most of their phone right. numbers. Yeah. But now with these things in our pockets, it's there. And there's like, I don't, honestly, I it, it drives me crazy. I don't know my oldest son's phone number. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've got this phone for him and, if I, if I've, I'd have to look it up right. if, if you needed to call him for some mm-hmm. reason. So, um, that I, I see that in my own life is where I, I, I've kind of lost something because yeah, of, yeah. of, well, in this case it's technological, but it is written in a sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so true. It's, uh, it's a bit like Indiana Jones and, uh, the last crusade number three, where, uh, Sean Connery is, is uh, Harrison Ford's father mm-hmm. and, uh, and, uh, Henry Jones has got the uh, this diary that all of his research on the Holy Grail is, and it's thick. and And he left it in there, fleeing from the Nazis. He left it back, and and they're escaping, and then they stop. and And uh, he says, "We we have to go back. We we've <laughs> got to get my journal." And uh, and Indiana says to his dad, uh, "Well, well, don't you remember what's there?" And he, Sean Connery looks at him and says, 
I wrote it down so I wouldn't have to remember. Exactly. It's like, well, that's us. Yeah. We write stuff down and we don't have to remember it. And then we can think about other things because mm-hmm. we've got a record of that. Uh, so that's a benefit. We can do a lot of types of thinking yeah. um, that, um, that we're enabled to because of reading and writing. But uh, so I heard this story. This will kind of capture some of the some of the strengths of an oral culture that that has not shifted into uh, using this tool for their memory. Um, uh, so there's a there's a people group in the Amazon region uh, of Brazil and uh, Venezuela uh, called the Yanomami people, uh, okay. a big people group uh, deep in the Amazon. And they have a, a ritual where the, the elder of one tribe that's like maybe up way up a river uh, and another tribe that's down the river, they don't see each other a whole lot. But, but when an elder comes to the other village, the two elders get together and all of their, uh, all the Anamame villages seem to be this circle, like a cleared out circle where it's a dirt circle and all the, the houses, the huts the, and the sleeping quarters are around this circle. And these two elders sit in cross leg style or, or something right in the in that circle, mm-hmm. right in front of each other. Uh, so, so close, it would be very uncomfortable for you and me. You and I have a table between us, mm-hmm. and I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I like you and all, but, but they're you know, right up on each other, and they start bobbing toward each other, putting their faces side to side, and then back, and then on the other side, and then back, and then so almost like touch it touching cheek to cheek and then alternating. And, and as they're doing that, they're saying things to each other, like they're giving a blessing to the other. Okay. Um, they're each saying something different because they're each kind of blessing each other. And this goes on for, could be up to an hour. But the thing is that they're not just saying everything all at once. They're actually saying one word at a time. And so every time that one of the guys goes to the right, he says a word they go back, he goes to the left, he says the next word. He goes back, he goes to the right, he says the third word. And over an hour, he is saying sentences, paragraphs, word at a time. Meanwhile, the other guy's doing exactly the same thing. And so they've got this, um, this dynamic between them where they, have, they can keep track of what they're saying in a, in a format you and I wouldn't we'd be totally lost with what yeah. we're saying. And they're listening to the other person at the exact same time. So they're giving and receiving a message for an hour, word at a time in this intertwined way. Like, I can't even picture how that's possible. Yeah. Um, but they're doing it. And so some of the things that you see about with, with those oral dynamics, uh, well, first, you, I mean, you see a memory that is unbelievable to highly literate people where everything is based on literature. Like, how, how is that even possible? Mm-hmm. Um, but it is because when memory is what you have to work with, that that, that part of the brain is highly tuned, practiced, yeah. et cetera. Ours is atrophied in that way. Uh, but there's also this relational connection. You know, we we now have in in the West in America, we have a lot of pictures where you've got a whole a whole group of teenagers sitting around a table, and every one of them is on their phone. Nobody's talking to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, Probably texting each other from across the table. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Like there, we're all recognizing something is lost in personal relationship in in how we do things, mm-hmm. and you go to that, and personal relationship is what you have. So there's kind of relational dynamics that are a lot more, uh, 
what's the good word, uh, <laughs> developed, um, constant. So they're relational and memory things. They're much more intense mm-hmm. in an oral culture. Then, but there are certain benefits that we have with writing and, and thinking with a, an external memory. So there's some give and take. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, it's just fascinating. How does that play into um, ministry work then in mm-hmm. those cultures? Like as people are trying mm-hmm. to develop that and then like, you know, we take very seriously scripture. Like we want to be dedicated. Mm-hmm. What does the scripture say? And so if, we rely on the written nature of it to make sure we get it right. And right. How does that play into uh Yeah, yeah. So one one thing that we bring out of Scripture, that we see in Scripture, is that most of the cultures within the Old and New Testament were mostly oral cultures anyway, as well. Okay. Um, where in terms of the crowds, the, most of the crowds don't read, or, mm-hmm. or maybe occasionally they, they might be able to read a grocery list or something, like in the— you know, Greco-Roman New Testament era, mm-hmm. you, know, you, you get evidence of uh, a slave doing shopping and, and they can read grocery list, but can't function with written language. So they're not, it's not like you have scripture, whether old or New Testament, in every person's hands that they study it written. They can't, they, they don't read. You do have some people who can read though. Sure. Um, so in the Old Testament, you have the priests who can generally read Right. The king had to be able to read because pretty much every year he was supposed to, you know, write the Torah uh, in the presence of the priests. And so you have key leaders who can read, and that's crucial. So you, you'll you get like Ezra, was it Ezra who read the law out to the gathered Israelites? So he's reading it out loud. They're listening to it because they're oral. Then a lot of the priests go out and, and help explain things. Mm-hmm. So that kind of dynamic is not like the West now it's not everybody with their own personal bible that just yeah. sits and reads um it's a lot more like the oral cultures but it's not like the the, the primary i think that ones. carries through even up into the reformation mm-hmm. where we have you know uh, pre-reformation a lot of people were not able to read and they the only way they get their scripture is like going to church and hearing a right. priest or a mm-hmm. pastor tell them what it says mm-hmm. which is kind of like you know we look as protestants back and say well I mean, that's obviously that's a problem because you, they're, they're doing it in Latin and these people don't speak Latin. So right. they're lost. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, that wasn't everywhere. We look at the East, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's similar. They're, mm-hmm. they're preaching the Orthodox, you know, and more likely to be in a language that the people understand. But, right. Yeah. But throughout history, we find that. And, um, most places are like that. Yeah. And I, I've been, I admit like one of my weaknesses as a believer right now is in that slow reading, mm-hmm. my, my scripture reading sometimes is not what I think it should be, mm-hmm. but I sometimes will remind myself that well, through most of history, mm-hmm. we've gotten through, um, orally, you know, and right. so, you know, um, he who has an ear, let him hear, not he right. who has an eye, let him read. Mm-hmm. So if I can't sit down and read my scriptures, I try to make up for that by listening yeah you know, either through an audio bible mm-hmm. or through just good preaching right so. i think that's great yeah w- one of the things that we've uh played with an idea at our church uh is is having people get together in smaller groups and just read scripture to each other and, mm-hmm. and try to have the communal communal pouring over scripture not yeah. everybody sitting reading their own their own version or whatever but 
somebody reading it out and just be together and listen and, and talk about it. Because mm -hmm. that's one of the things in these oral cultures is they talk with each other a, a fair bit. Yeah. You know, somebody will tell a story and they'll chip in and they'll correct the story mm -hmm. if it's wrong or they'll ask questions about it or tell another story. And so there's this dynamic interaction um, that would be really cool if yeah, we could not right. only yeah listen to the word preached in church. It's central uh, to, a, to our, our faith and Christian life. Uh, listen on audio book. Um, uh, Read it personally if you got it. We've got a beautiful gift having it written and yeah. in our in our hands. And but the, then also a the number of uh, translations and, and right, yeah. eighteen translations right on my bedside table. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not really. And but also get together with friends and say, hey, do do like they did throughout all of Scripture and most mm -hmm. of history, and and somebody read it and just listen and talk about it. Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And so with the with Maria in the Philippines, she's a an example of um, a leader in that Christian community. She has all these other ladies who are believers, um, mm -hmm. but they can't read, but she can. And so what she and I were basically playing with the idea was she digs in to Scripture and really understands it with the tools that God has given her of reading, uh, being one of them. But then she goes to them a bit like the priests of the Old Testament would go, uh, uh -huh. or a bit like um, Tychicus would take Paul's letter uh, into uh, Colossae or, or Laodicea or Ephesus, and he would read, you know, mm -hmm. he would read it out. Um, Maria is a bit like that. She goes to people who are oral, uh, and she reads, and they listen, and they talk about it, and they truly engage Scripture in a deep way, but not like we think about. That's very cool. Yeah. So I want to set a circle back a little bit to Marcus and mm -hmm. kind of curious how how did that play out? How mm -hmm. did his his ministry or his situation play out? Mm -hmm. Good question. Um, with him in particular, so I met him seven years ago when I was teaching uh, teaching a group of the pastors there. I haven't been back to that site since. Uh, my okay. colleague colleagues have. Mm -hmm. um, that was the end of the three years for him. Okay. Um, we, I'm about to actually go back there um, in January coming up, um, but not to teach him. I, he's back in the village preaching. I, I actually don't know how he's doing and how the ministry okay. is going. They do, so I'll be able to ask him. Yeah, because they are tightly connected. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'll be teaching a, a new group of, of students. We, we helped them start a seminary. Okay. Um, so a lot of, most places we go, it's these non-formal groups of pastors and leaders. Mm -hmm. that it's a very designed curriculum, but it's non-formal. There's no institution. There's no degree, nothing like that. But sometimes if the group of pastors can and want to, to start a seminary, we, we help them do that. And so there's, we've got about five places in different continents where we've helped a group start a seminary and they're running. So this particular group is where Marcus lives, uh, is about to graduate its third cohort of MDiv students. Oh, cool. Some of whom years ago did our non-formal training when that's what we did. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, my interpreter named Baloo, um, he was just an outstanding interpreter. He was part of my group. Well, then he went through this, this MDiv in India? in India. So uh, probably a Hindi speaker or? Yeah, and turned, I mean, he was actually, um, uh, or he is Nepali. Okay. but had come across for various reasons and he had learned Hindi. And so he 
even though he was Nepali, he was translating into Hindi okay. uh, from the English. He's just one of those outstanding mm-hmm. people. Now, this would not be one of those uh, oral language type situations, right. though, so much. Out in the villages, maybe, more so. Okay. Um, but most, well, all these guys can read mm-hmm. um, to, to various levels. Like Marcus struggled more. He could read, but he had to really, really mm-hmm. concentrate. But some of the younger folk who are going through the MDiv, they're fully literate. They've mm-hmm. been doing it for years. They even are learning English because there's so few Hindi resources mm-hmm. that they need to be reliant on English resources until people produce good Hindi. I would think in India that wouldn't be too difficult. There's, to there, learn. there's quite a lot of English. There's speaking. a lot, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. That's true. They're very good. <laughs> Just high, highly skilled at language. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to talk about like open countries versus closed mm-hmm. countries and stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you deal much with closed countries and places mm-hmm. that are like, you know, difficult to, to mm-hmm. do gospel work in? Yeah. We do. Um, most of the places we go are open, um, but a few uh, are, well, one is closed enough that we don't go there, but we are able to fly some pastors to a different country nearby, do the training there, and okay. they go back. And so that's not the best, but, you know, sure. I mean, God's doing amazing things there. Yeah. Other places, like in India, um, we can go. It, it's gotten harder than it was seven years ago. Um, you never know if it's going it to just be closed or not. It's kind mm-hmm. of goes back and forth. Um, rarely do we personally feel in danger. Uh, the biggest issue is, is our brothers and sisters who are there. Because when a white face shows up, it's like painting a target on the locals. And so we have to be very careful when we go to certain places that we try to be as under the radar, discreet, discreet as yeah. possible. You know, you don't hang out in the alleyway. So it's so everybody notices the white faces mm-hmm. because we're going to leave. They're not going to mess with us. They don't want trouble, you know, with America or whatever. Oh, but boy, they're going to give trouble to the pastors and, and others who stay. Mm-hmm. And we've had some of that. Um, and so we constantly are praying and thinking and, t- and talking. I mean, it's key to talk with our local pastors. They're the ones who know the danger levels and all this. And so if they coach us, yes, you can come do this, this, and this, we really listen carefully. Mm-hmm. It's a great activity of, um, of us submitting to their leadership. We're bringing something valuable, but yeah. we're, we're not the leaders. I mean, <laughs> we'd be stupid, blunt Americans who would cause a lot of damage if we don't listen very carefully and even submit to mm-hmm. you know their knowledge. I was a little surprised that I was looking on the website um, this afternoon mm-hmm. There was the locations around the world, but mm-hmm. one really caught my eye was Dubai. I thought was yes. was interested to hear. Yeah. I would have thought of that as as a closed country. Right. So Dubai is fascinating. Um, Dubai is not. So the United Arab em- United Arab Emirates is the country, with Dubai as the as the main city. The UAE itself is more closed, but okay. Dubai is very open. Um, it is so popular for tourism. They rack in so much money. They do not want to close Dubai to Western okay. stuff. Go outside of Dubai, and it is a very different story. Okay. Um, but we, uh, so there's a seminary in Dubai uh, called. Well, that's cool that they could even have a seminary. It's true. And, yeah, they've got a few. Oh. Um, so the churches there are, are free. Now, they can't proselytize. You know, there are laws against them 
actually trying to convert people to Christianity, mm-hmm. um, even in Dubai. But they can have a church. They can have a seminary. They even have a website. It's like they're, they're public. Very cool. Yeah. Um, and that seminary, we send some long-term uh, professors that are in that live in Dubai and that work at that seminary and teach. And we that used to be one of the places we could fly some pastors from some other close countries to Dubai mm-hmm. because Dubai itself was open. I was just gonna say, you, mm-hmm. you, if if the rest of the Emirates is closed, you bring mm-hmm. them, bring them there and yep. train them, and then let them go back home. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, the 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 people at the church and seminary in Dubai where we work. It's very diverse with with cultures. They're from all over the place. Mm-hmm. In fact, probably very few are actually United Arab Emirates. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because uh. people from all the other closed countries uh, or difficult countries come to Dubai and they worship and they learn. Cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, any other places like that where you're you're kind of more on the open side and mm-hmm. bringing in people from more closed countries? Um, let's see. And obviously, I don't think mm-hmm. a lot of people are going to hear this, but obviously right. I don't want to get anybody in trouble. Yeah, yeah, and I, I'd be very careful. Um, I'm not telling certain places, <laughs> sure. even when I mentioned India broadly. There are lots of places in India, and I'm not saying where. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, there, I just had, well, so there's something interesting in Mongolia. I got to go to Mongolia uh, to train with there were a bunch of maybe 40 to 50 pastors, mm-hmm. other leaders. Uh, I had two, um, two counselors who came because they, they, they counsel uh, in uh, alcoholic circles. 85% of Mongolian men are alcoholics, okay. which is huge. Yeah. So one of these, these are two ladies who have a counseling service together. One of them counsels the alcoholic men. The other counsels the women and the children who are abused, abandoned. Mm-hmm. And uh, so these were two of the women who came to the trainings and they said, you know, everywhere we go, people know we're Christians and they ask us to speak. And so we, we give these devotionals or these Bible talks. So we, we really want to study how do you actually understand the Bible and communicate it faithfully. Yeah. Uh, they were so neat to have in class. Um, and one of the ladies, um, she goes to North Korea as a oh, counselor wow. to help counsel with, uh, with uh, alcoholic issues um a few of the folk that we had there live in various places of china in china but would come up and so yeah china is kind of a mixed bag it is yeah my understanding of china is that it's kind of dependent on the local governor Mm, yeah some are more open and Mm -hmm. you know kind of leave the leave the christians and the Mm -hmm. gospel you know preachers alone and others just are really you know tight and crack down that's that's what I've heard from from the brothers who are there. We've had some um, Chinese pastors come to us in different places um, uh, for for dialogue, for teaching, that kind of stuff. And and that's kind of what they share is uh, often in some of those places mm-hmm. the, the local governor doesn't care until they get pressured by you know by from somebody big, bigger, yeah. and then they crack down and they kick them out of their place. And so they find a new place, and then they're fine. And the local person they know they're there. But they're not doing anything uh, yeah. until they, they get pressure. They got credit for cracking down, so yep. they'll just leave them alone for a while. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Other places, though, is very active. The, the person cares a lot to not have Christians. Sure. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, I've got a friend that I've interviewed a couple times, too, that was a missionary in Ukraine for many mm-hmm. years in Odessa. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it was probably 10 or, 10 or 12 years 
went over and did he do these English schools over there, mm-hmm. and uh, he was teaching at a local college too. But it, that was his end was teaching people English. Yeah, very similar to what you're describing as Mongolia. There's very mm. high alcohol alcoholism. Right. Yeah. And um, so a lot of problems with that. But um, trying to offer people these people would get more opportunity mm-hmm. if they could speak English. So they all wanted to learn English. Right. So they do like long term English clubs the churches mm-hmm. and stuff and then they'd, he'd bring friends over um for a week or two at a time in ukraine and do these english camps where they teach oh kids interesting and stuff. yeah and, nice but uh and now he's moved on to some different organizations he's not in ukraine anymore mm-hmm. lives in philadelphia now mm. but is training training people all around kind of similar to what you're doing but uh going around doing training and awesome um yeah, Philadelphia needs needs some good English too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's not that's not what you meant. Is it? <laughs> no, but that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I'm um, I don't know what else to ask at this point. Mm-hmm. We're at close to an hour, but if you've got mm-hmm. anything else you want to share, oh I, man, there's there's so many exciting things to share. <laughs> I, I'll just mention. Um, oh, do whatever. I mean, it's, yeah, it's your stage, you can always so. cut it out. Well, no, I mean, <laughs> edit it down. I brought uh, you into chat, so yeah. Let's chat. So uh, just just personally, some of the places that I've been um, that I've mm-hmm. I've learned a lot by interacting with with brothers and sisters in very diverse places, um, teaching teaching scripture uh, in uh, in India and in Mongolia and the Philippines, in Romania, uh, in Turkey, in Tanzania and Uganda, in Brazil and Panama and Chile. Uh, And uh, as well as here in the States, we also actually have a a program that is uh, called diaspora training. So people from all over the country or from all over the world who live in the States, either they're immigrants or they're migrants or they're refugees, but they pastor their own people group as well. So they might be American citizens. Maybe they're not yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're pastoring sometimes in their own language. You know, you might have an Ethiopian Amharic church right down the street. Mm-hmm. And uh, and similarly, those pastors, they even though they're maybe down the street from a seminary, they don't really have access to it. They're working three jobs. Sure. Uh, there's, they don't have the resources or the time. Um, and so we have this diaspora program trying to basically bring biblical training to diaspora pastors in major uh, Western cities. Cool. So I've been able to work with some some amazing pastors from the Hmong population, mm-hmm. uh, Hmong community, which we have a, a lot, a huge yeah. Hmong population here in the Twin Cities. Um, and so that you know, thinking about just the relatively few places that I've been to teach, uh, and so many more that my colleagues go to, and you've seen the map with all the dots. Mm-hmm. Um, it is striking how different. Christians are. Um, and so the idea, uh, one of the things that, that drives me thinking about education, like how can we help people understand God's word and communicate it? And then how can we help them help others understand God's word and mm. communicate it? Um, the key thing is how does somebody really learn? Often teachers, we think about how do I teach? Um, it's like, well, yeah, think about that, but but actually, it's more fundamental to think about how somebody learns, mm-hmm. uh, because you can teach all you want, but if nobody's learning, it's pretty much pointless. Yeah, um, and what might be really good teaching in one spot can be terrible and not effective at all in another, 
And the real question is, how does that group of people actually learn something deeply and in a way that it transforms them? And when you have that many different places, you know, from India to Panama, from the Philippines to Tanzania to Romania, mm. like, oh my word, there's so many ways God has built people to learn differently. Um, it's a high calling. Yeah. And we need people who really think hard about such things, not just of the Bible and theology, but of, of culture and and how to serve somebody else that's very different than them. And how, how can we, like Paul, become something to somebody else mm-hmm. so that they can be benefited instead of demanding that they be, you know, just just learn the way I teach. Yeah, I know this is, this is fascinating stuff, but... Um, a joy and a challenge. Yeah. Um, I don't know where else to go, and, mm-hmm. and uh, it's getting late, so I don't yeah. want to keep you too long, but... Afterwards, I, I can mention, um, if you want to put uh, our website, use use our website, I can give you my contact information in case people hear this and say, I'd be interested in asking questions. They can reach oh, out sure. to me, like email and stuff, and I can give you that stuff later. Okay. If you'd like. Yeah, or why don't you just mention email? Okay. Because uh, mm-hmm. if I always worry about spam, but if, you, mm-hmm. if you're speaking it, it's less likely to get mm-hmm. picked up as spam. Mm-hmm. So go ahead. Yeah, share okay. all that. Yeah, so uh, people can feel free to reach out to me. Uh, my email address is the longest email address you've ever heard. <laughs> I almost guarantee it. Bankers hate it. Where they ask, oh, what's your email? And I say it. And they're like, oh, you got to be kidding me. So anyway, my email address is jonathan.worthington at trainingleadersinternational.org. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and if you want to know how to spell Jonathan, That's right. the title of the episode will have the spelling. Yes. But Jonathan.Worthington at, mm-hmm. at trainingleadersinternational.org. Awesome. Cool. And I'll put the, that and anything else you want mm-hmm. me to add in the yeah. um, additional resources that I put on the post. Excellent. Yep. I've, got a, I've got a list of um, articles that some people might be might mm-hmm. benefit from. Uh, yeah, some some right. are about cross-cultural theological education some are about kind of real short articles for like uh, uh tgc gospel coalition stuff i can give links that might yeah. stimulate anybody absolutely i'll, I'll be more than happy it thrilled me to put that um in the ad- additional mm-hmm. resources so i always do echozoe.com slash this mm-hmm. is episode 185 so echozoe.com slash 185 will be the posting for this episode and um so I, I usually do some show notes where I kind of go over an out. I turn our discussion into an outline. Mm-hmm. And it just uh, it helps me later, as like you know, a year or two, three years later, right. I'm wondering what did we talk about. Like, mm-hmm. um, it's always it, it. I find it very helpful to come back. Oh yeah, and look at my own show notes sometimes. Um, we don't. We didn't have. We didn't, uh, aside from Genesis, we did, I usually do mm-hmm. scriptures that we talk mm-hmm. about in our mm-hmm. discussion. But aside from Genesis, we didn't really have a lot of scripture references, so True. Mm-hmm. might skip that section. But mm-hmm. I, I usually do an additional resources, and I, I, yeah. I'm um, happy to add whatever I can to that. So mm-hmm. whatever you send over, I'll yeah. add that. And um, yeah, I'd love to have you back for. Uh, I mean, you've got a broad skill stack. So from what I was looking at, I'm sure we could have. Completely unrelated, of, but yet you know, right. theological discussions. Yes, yes. And one thing that I know you'd be interested in, I don't know if you saw any of this, but I have done a lot of work about creation. Uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, I mentioned Genesis 1, but mm-hmm. that was my PhD, was how does Apostle Paul interpret Genesis 1 and 2? 
Oh, cool. And compared with another ancient Jew of his day, a guy named Philo of Alexandria, who wrote oh. commentaries on Genesis. Oh, cool. Uh, so how do those two guys interpret Genesis 1 and 2? That's not an approach that a lot of people take mm. when creation comes up. Yeah, very cool. But it gets me out of trouble, too, because... You got to just point your finger. I say, well, that, that's, that's what Paul says. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah. Well, Jonathan, thanks so much. It's a, it's a joy. I've really enjoyed kind of getting to know you through Civil Air Patrol and our meetings mm-hmm. and we get ch- chances to, mm-hmm. while our kids are off doing their thing, we get a chat and it's been a, a joy to get to know you. And uh, Likewise. Um, thanks so much for coming in. My pleasure. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. The Christian Podcast Community is a cohesive group of like-minded podcasters proclaiming the truths of Christ with expertise and passion in the areas of theology, church history, Christian living, evangelism, apologetics, parenting, homeschooling, sermons, much, much more. So check us out at christianpodcastcommunity.org. One stop for all your favorite Christian podcasts. christianpodcastcommunity.org. That wraps up episode 185. Thanks for listening. And Lord willing, we'll be back next month with the October episode of Echo Zoe Radio. Thank you.